0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station?
2: 9.35am. Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Philip C. and Anwar Mahbob. It is a Friday, Fri-Yay. So, of course, you're listening to WTF, or What's the Focus? Our weekly roundup show of the top stories this morning. Eh, not this morning, this week. <laughs> and other news tidbits that you may have missed. Our uh, job is to ensure that you head off into the weekend with lots of interesting Facts and figures that you can share with whoever you meet on the street. And I think uh, what we're going to start discussing first is a headline that came out earlier in the week regarding Netflix. For the longest time, Netflix has been very secretive about viewership data. It didn't share what viewers watch. And this became the industry standard for streaming services. But in the wake of more calls for transparency, the streaming giant is sharing information and dropped its first Netflix engagement report this week detailing how many hours people watched shows on its platform um, for the first
1: half of the year. The data released Tuesday cover more than 18,000 titles. That's very sizable, including thousands of films and shows that generated between 50,000 hours and 100,000 hours. A lot of working hours there.
0: <laughs> there was definitely. If you actually open the report, it's literally an Excel sheet, right? It oh. is. Oh, I, was, hours I, was, and days.
2: I I went all the way down to the bottom because I <laughs> so wanted to I. see what, so the, what show had the least amount of views. But I think there was quite a sizable number that had like 100,000 yes. views and they tended to be uh, from specific languages or specific regions that didn't have global how do you say b- global coverage
0: I mean I was very surprised actually I think the Korean episodes did very well the Spanish language episodes also did extremely well as well if you see in the top 20 or top 50 ranking right of course number one Night Agent season one number two Ginny and Georgia season two and The Glory season one of course they round up the top three Clearly, I am not mass market. I confess, I have not not watched any of them. either. Closest was Queen Charlotte, Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story. And that was ranked in at number five. Hmm.
2: So yeah, I mean, why do you think Netflix is dropping this information, right? This trove? I think the way I see it, it's really coming on the back of the Hollywood strikes where you saw writers and actors strike for months and calling for more payments from streaming services because what's happened in the past is streaming services don't disclose how, how popular these shows are. And hence, it's kind of used as a way to maybe perhaps not to uh, remunerate the actors and writers and people yep. involved in the production of the TV shows. So they've been calling for streamers to be more transparent about this yes. and hence price their projects um, more equitably and accordingly.
0: Look, you hear all these stories about actresses negotiating their salaries based on their success in the box office. Mm. It's so hard to measure success when you don't disclose your viewership and ratings data, especially since you're a subscription model. In classic cinema form, you can just look at box office tickets, right? And say, oh, I generated with my star power this amount of ticket receipts at the box office. But you can't do that with the streamers Mm. until now.
2: Until now. And well, they're the first ones who've started it, hopefully other streamers will follow suit. Uh, But this is a pretty significant information release. I guess you could even parse that data even further, right? I could ask for more data because what they've showed is just how many hours people are watching those shows. Mm. But could they quantify that even further in terms of, you know, your gender, your age, your income? That's right. You know, really going into the granular detail. I'm sure they have the information. And what they
0: share scary is you can actually.
1: But interestingly, what Netflix does is it opens up another avenue for people to create movies, you know? Well, because I
0: think I think that's a very interesting point. I'm aware about that. It, you know, it democratizes the yes. ability for you to. create movies because you make the distribution much easier but I've always wondered with this data is that the whole self-reinforcing cycle that when you see something popular do you ride on that bandwagon as opposed to create something that you genuinely love because when you start seeing this data you then think, oh okay Everybody loves this type of movie, this type of genre. So therefore, I will actually hit towards that direction then. And you just end up not having much creative content.
2: I think that is a really big debate that's happening in the production circles, at least, in terms of is there appetite for more interesting, more nuanced, more indie type of material in this current moment? I mean, if everyone's chasing for profits yeah. uh, in the streaming side. But the
1: best thing about Netflix, also it uh, lets me watch different language movies. You know, I'm watching French movies, Italian movies, even Southeast Asian movies find a way to... Showcase their products. On, it's it's, on it's very true. I
0: think my my um my my breadth of my ability to watch different types of shows has expanded incredibly with its with its ability to translate languages and such much easily, right? I think also what you're seeing happen is that the nature of the movies have also evolved. You're not having just one long movie anymore, you're actually breaking it up into series. And it's actually the top ten Netflix views are actually not movies, but all these multi mini series because you're watching at home, you have more appetite, you don't need to actually buy a lot of popcorn and you can actually spread it out like i watch movies spread out over my dinners for five days
2: i think another question that is coming up for streamers is how do they retain the series that they commission right i think a lot of viewers have complained that you commission one season of a series and then suddenly it's cancelled by netflix and there's no continuation of that i I think Having this information out there helps people to either understand why a decision to cancel was taken or it provides fodder or ammunition to sort of call for a continuation mm. of a beloved series. Yeah, I think so, so too. I think maybe this will also help to improve the conversation between viewers and streamers and production uh, houses in terms of what kind of content to create.
0: So based on what I see, it looks like they will con- continue Emily in Paris for you, Shaftes.
2: Uh-huh. I have not actually seen a single episode, but maybe I should, Phil. Maybe I should. Um, anyways, if you want more discussion on movies and televisions, you need to tune in to Popcorn Culture. I think we have episodes every Tuesday to Thursday. And of course, you can find their entire back catalogue of extensive discussions on the movie and TV industry on our BFM App. Let's turn our attention to another industry or another sector or another body or another field of institutions. <laughs> the institutions that has come in the spotlight. And that's really looking at U.S. Ivy League universities. Now, they've come under scrutiny for a number of reasons this year. We spoke about it earlier when they uh, did away with affirmative action policies when the Supreme Court ruled on that. But the latest furor is over testimony by three university presidents before Congress on the the issue of anti Semitism on campuses last week. So, we saw the heads of the University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, and MIT face questioning by a congressional panel, and they were seen as giving very feeble answers to the question of whether their code of conduct allowed students to call for the murder or genocide of Jews. So much so that one of the presidents, Elizabeth McGill of University of Pennsylvania, she had to resign over her comments um, after a donor actually withdrew 100 million US dollars uh, from the university.
1: Well, it's, you know, the question is, you know, they, they preach freedom of speech. But when against, when it is against their own policy, I mean, the Republicans are going all out on this.
0: Yeah, I think this is, I think, the biggest challenge about, you know, universities are meant to be that pantheon of free speech. But of course, they are basically posing questions about... And the Republicans were asking questions about, you know, do you condone anti-Semitic behavior? But not in that way, but really pointed questions. And it seems like the the three provosts or the professors there, they were kind of not being very clear, being opaque with the answers. They were legalistic in in how they responded. And I think what the Republicans wanted was an outright clear stand that they do not agree with these things, right? So I think that was really the tension here and what you saw is this groundswell of tension between, I think, the student bodies actually that actually were in support of these uh, CEOs and heads of these corporations versus what you saw in political framework. And a classic example was in Harvard, right, with Claudine Gay. You know, there was so much pressure for her to step down, but there was this huge student body that stood behind her.
2: So The the discussion on anti-Semitism in campuses is coming up post the October 7th attacks by Hamas in Israel, right? And especially in the US, it's resulted in this polarization between uh, the pro-Palestinian and perhaps pro-Israeli groups uh, who are very much against each other. And I think there's a battle being held on university campuses about whose speech gets to be heard. So I think this congressional panel um, comes from those who feel that anti-Semitism is on the rise as a result of Mm. that debate I have to say that I didn't, quite understand it as I was following this story. I didn't understand why the uh, presidents didn't con- didn't just condemn the yeah. call for genocide because I feel like calling for genocide for any exactly. group it yeah. shouldn't be condoned at all. Uh, but again, the nuances of f- the free speech uh, rights in the US they're so complex. Yeah, The idea yeah. that free speech is protected but when does it cross over into hate speech? I think that for me is always a conundrum that I'm still trying to wrap my head around uh, how the US deals with it and of course how we deal with it here as well.
0: I think that's the problem, right? Just because you condemn, you know, the, the genocide of a certain group of people doesn't mean you 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 support the genocide of the other group. You know, that I think is the big tension here, right? And But I think it's all just mild with this whole political framing of it where the assumption here is that in university, students, they tend to be center-left by nature and they tend to be, of course, more uh, I think more sympathetic to the Palestinian cause in this case here. So when the professors end up taking a more neutral stance for these things the the right to right leaning kind of republican party then of course feels the other way but the right-leaning Republicans also trying to carry the favour of the lobby
1: groups, you know, the pro-Israel lobby groups, because pro-Israel lobby groups have traditionally been supporters of the Democrat Party.
2: I'm thinking that I agree with you entirely that it's all about the money, really. Yeah. So the Republicans are trying to politicise this and uh, really get those who are backing universities to to withdraw and, and kind of create pressure for them. Um, so it's interesting to see how this is playing out, the fact that these three universities came under the spotlight. Are we going to see more repercussions? across the broader higher education landscape of the US. How are I mean, the fact is these are three universities with very big donor support bases, right? So Correct. they would be in the crossfire of these kinds of battles. That's
0: why the UPenn CEO had to resign because of threats from donors, right, to pull out funding for, that, for the university.
2: hundred million US dollars of funding is nothing lot. to sniff at.
0: But some of these universities have sizable,
1: sizable endowments. Like Harvard, for instance, has 40 yeah. billion US dollars in their coffers.
2: So we actually covered a little bit about um, higher education uh, in our context earlier this week when we discussed the cabinet reshuffle and the fact that uh, we are seeing a new minister in higher education. We spoke to Professor Zaharum Nain of University of Nottingham Malaysia. He's also the chair of GURA, and we spoke a little bit about how what kind of policies are needed to really rejuvenate our higher education landscape. And for me, the contrasts of how the US operates and how we operate—they're so stark. The US, the donation sizes the endowment sizes compared to the public universities and how little resources we have the academic freedom the academic quality it's miles apart
0: yeah i fully agree even the whole context of freedom of speech is very different you know when you talk about what we've been seeing in the u.s is what are the challenges having having here in malaysia right so i don't think it's a light for light comparison really what you see in the u.s versus what you see here
2: And we can always draw lessons from each other moving forward. It's 9.48 in the morning. We're going to head into some messages, but we'll come back with a look at more of the stories that have caught our attention this week. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. 9.50am, you are listening to WTF or What's the Focus on the Morning Run, our weekly recap show on the top stories that have caught our eye this week and other news tidbits that uh, we find interesting and want to talk about. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Philip C. and Anwar Mahbob. Now, more than 60 years after the country's independence and one of the issues that remains a thorn is the cohesion of Malaysian society. We like to celebrate that we're a melting pot of cultures and traditions, but the celebration's seems subject to unspoken rules of supposed hierarchy and this issue is in the spotlight after Lim Kit Siang was reported to the police for commenting about the possibility of having a non-Malay prime minister.
0: Now, this has caused a lot of controversy, I think. You've seen, especially across uh, the other side, uh, on the South China Sea, East Malaysia, many MPs there, of course, not happy with that. Of course, even Barubian P- P- PSB, Secretary General, confirming that East Malaysian MPs will not support the move to limit the Prime Minister post to Malay Muslims. On the other flip side, you see the likes of past Bersatu saying they should codify that in the constitution.
1: It's amazing that people get triggered so easily by comments like these. You know, we all right now, the economy, we're just recovering with COVID, etc. Hey, politicians, just do your work, create better laws for everyone else.
2: I, I, I want to unpack a little bit about what it is that Lim Kitsiang said, right, and why so many people seem to be triggered by what he said. So according to the police, uh, what, their investigation, what they're investigating is a report that was related to a November 30th blog post uh, by Lim Kitsiang, which he titled Malaysia Constitution Provides for a Malaysia Dream and Not a Mono-Ethnic Dream as it provides that a non-Malay can be a Prime Minister. And apparently Lim also made similar remarks in his speech to Malaysian students in the U.K., I think at the same time however Lim said that for a non-Malay to become the prime minister is a statement of fact not a statement of reality and he didn't expect it to happen within the next 100 years so even as uh, Lim Kit Siang was talking about what the constitution actually says yes. he recognizes about the reality uh, uh, and the political dynamics of yep. it right and the fact that uh, this is suddenly coming into po- under political scrutiny by opposition figures is absolutely preposterous i feel
0: You think the indictment is not on the message but on the messenger that because it's tied to it being Kit Siang, that's why it's cost so much higher. If it was from a different person, it would have been fine. And I guess then you let's slice it right. Of course, it was a non-Malay talking about an issue related to this, right? What if it was the situation about diversity? And let's say we want someone from East Malaysia, or if you want a woman prime minister per se, right? How would that be, you know, viewed or construed differently if a woman prime minister it wanted to be from a woman leader, right? So I, I think that is a very, that, that I think it's one of the biggest challenges we have here.
2: That's such an interesting point to, uh, to say, uh, Phil, that perhaps it was the messenger that was the problem. I hadn't really thought about it in that sense. But I think I can understand why um, Lim Kit Siang himself as a divisive figure uh, for a long time and as a, you know, a stalwart of the political landscape, yeah. I can see how he would be made an easy target uh, when he mentions uh, issues such as this. Um, but I do think that this is a question of how we view each other as Malaysians because because to me, it doesn't make sense that only one segment of the society can dream of becoming a prime minister.
1: Now, anyone can become prime minister right? as long as you gather the majority support of the members of parliament. Mm. So it doesn't have to be exclusively I'm mean, There's no. I think nothing.
2: yeah under the federal constitution I mean the requirements are quite clear uh it's only um, someone who has majority support as you said
0: yeah I, I think here's the question again right like what is the role of the prime minister and of course when you unpack that it's really a function of is it merit-based or is he also got some symbolic part right so I think those are the two things I think we are having talk conversations about it should be very merit-based but of course we should also not discount the fact that also there is some symbolism right of seeing someone in that seat of power. Now, the debate is, you know, what symbolism, what identity really strikes or resonates with you is very important. And the reality in this world is that many people hold multiple identities. You know, race is just one, religion is multiple parts, right? But the the conversation I'm hearing is that we tend to take a bit more of a myopic view and that we tend to narrow identity to one or two categories only, where in Mm. reality, actually, a much richer, a much more textured life allows us to be able to embrace the multiple identities we all have.
2: We contain multitudes, right? It's not just one or the other. We're actually made up of a lot of different identities and personalities, as you pointed out, Phil. Uh, So I will have to wait and see whether anything... actually concrete comes out of objections to a non-Malay Prime Minister. I know that uh, the MP for Machang is calling for some form of bill or resolution. Um, hopefully, hopefully, nothing comes out of it. Uh, and uh, you know we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out moving forward. But maybe we can spend uh, the remaining time that we have just looking at some of the trends that are coming out. Because in this year-end season and over the next few WTFs, I'm sure, we're going to be looking at how different uh, publications or outlets are reviewing what's happened this year. And one of the uh, uh, review trends that came out this week was from Google on what Malaysians looked up on the search engine.
0: So I think if you look at the top 10 results, I found it really interesting that the number one search result was STR, Sumbangan Dunai Rama. And actually you have number six, which is actually e Balia Rama, which actually for me points to the fact that I think a lot of people here are struggling with their finances, that actually they are relying a lot on government to provide their financial support as we, as we go through this really challenging 2023.
2: Interesting that you pointed that out, right? I think everyone um, uh, is, I guess... Grateful or or looking out for that any extra help that they can get. Uh, Don't forget the E-Madani payout is also happening on this moment. Uh, You should check if you are eligible for that payout on your e-wallet before the uh, uh, expiry period happens. Uh, But what other, uh, I guess, news trends or what other issues were uh, highlighted here?
1: Top movie searches. Barbie, impressive. Oppenheimer and John Wick. One of my favourite shows. I see. You
0: didn't watch both, Barbie and Oppenheimer? Unfortunately, not at the same time. Well, talking to more serious stuff here, because I'm a more serious (laughs) person, if you look at the top 10 Google searches, in addition to STR and e Rama, War in Israel and Gaza was there. The Turkey earthquake was also featured in the top 10. What struck me was my airlines was number four, and actually our audience is pretty political. Kaputusan PRN was number three, and of course number seven, which was hilarious, PLKN, National Service, right? (laughs) Now, I want to ask you guys, number eight, I have no clue what this is. What is Lato Lato?
2: That's a very uh, interesting question. I I don't know myself. So, I'm going (laughs) to Google it right now, Phil, and maybe add to that statistic, right, in terms of what it is. Um, uh, It's actually
0: a toy, Okay. Oh, I see. Okay, got it. Well, it just reflects my age. And of course, number nine, 1975. Of course, we know about that concert (laughs) that didn't go quite so well. And number 10, Almina.
2: Well, we will be covering more 2023 reviews in the weeks ahead. It's 9.57 in the morning. That's all the time we have for WTF on the morning run today. We have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next. And then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9.